0: Hey, welcome to RushCast. My name's Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for listening to our show. We're happy to have you here. Part four of the album series today, and we're talking about a lot of people's favorite album, 2112. Listen, I know the last three episodes were slow. You know... There's only, there's only so much there. I can't, uh, I, you know, I think we did what we could do with them, but people, some people are emailing and saying, you know, you don't know the material and you, you know, they're, they're saying not nice things. Other people are emailing and saying, uh, I totally get it. Like, I understand why these episodes aren't as long. Uh, there's just not as much to sink your teeth into on these, on the first three albums, for me and for some of my listeners. And that's just that's just how it is. The you know, we all know that that's not what The Rush did not peak uh, at Caress of Steel or Fly by Night. So, uh here we are today and I think now this is where the album series really gets going. This is where we can have the discussions that I I wanted to have uh, is with this material that is from the deepest part of their Creative and, and, and uh, musical reservoir. Am I using these words correctly? Reservoir. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. How do you spell reservoir? R E S,
1: res, e v i o r, reservoir.
0: Thank. You. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I like that I have you here to spell check things. That's mostly what you do lately.
1: That's all me. You <laughs> know, spelling spelling things may be correct. Maybe <laughs>
0: you have a better idea than I do. Uh, so have you uh, have you ever heard any of twenty one twelve?
1: I feel like I have.
0: Yeah. Well you heard Twenty one twelve the song, yeah part of it yeah, live. Absolutely. You know it's a twenty minute song. I did know that. It's twenty minutes. This long. is the
1: now this is the one where they were like they were told not to to do this. They're like just write just fucking write songs. Oh just yeah, so you're you're digging into songs. your uh
0: your knowledge from the, a the documentary. DVDs, right? Yeah. Yep. And they were like
1: okay yeah that's interesting but we're not gonna do what you want <laughs> we're gonna do what we want because yeah. we're artists
0: so. so the album before this one didn't do so hot and uh, the record company was like you need to write some radio hits and they were like mm, nope <laughs> we're, we're not gonna do that <laughs> uh and they came out and they wrote a killing a killing album and in a really angry album uh that that's very raw and i think that's why it's so we we pretty much know that's why it's so great the material's so great um but they uh in addition to a 20-minute song on one side of the vinyl on the other side there's a another half an album of shorter songs that are in my opinion what make 2112 as an album fantastic is that you have this absolutely absolute juggernaut of a song on one side and uh, on the other side, you have uh, several really, really solid tracks. So the the album series is only going to get better from here. It's, I think it really starts at 2112. The, the last three episodes were sort of a warm-up. Not to say that we didn't do a good job. Like my, my guests did a great job. Uh, but we're, this is where the material gives us enough to, talk, to really dig into. Uh, and I think it's only going to, there's only more to say as we go through these albums. By the time we get to counterparts, we're going to be doing, uh, <laughs> I'll have a lot to say with each album. Today, I'm bringing in a guest you've probably heard of uh, on my show uh, Blogger extraordinaire Ed Stanger from Rush is a Band. How you doing, Ed? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for coming on uh, Rushcast to the album series. You're
2: very welcome.
0: When when I had been planning for the album series, I was surprised to see I think uh Permanent Waves and 2112 were like the last two that nobody had volunteered for. And Yeah, that is weird. I I was very surprised by that. The people jump maybe this is a result of my favorite albums and my favorite eras and people gravitating to my show because of that. But like Hold Your Fire was gone in an instant. Um, counterparts, roll the bones, like those, those went real fast. And here we go with 2112, and nobody wants to talk about it. So I reached out to Ed and I said, Wait a minute. You're like a huge 2112 fan, right?
2: Oh, yeah. It's my favorite.
0: He said, Yeah, I'll far. totally come on the show and talk about that. So um, the first thing I want to say in reabsorbing this album this week was. How how evident it is that this was different than everything else they had done and there was a different attitude going in when they recorded. We we all know that um they they kind of did what they wanted in the studio with this one. They said, let's go out with a bang, we're not gonna do what the recording studio wants us to do. And I think that's super evident in the music. I don't think oh, we ever got that like Ed, I don't think I don't think any other album gives us a glimpse of that. Whereas 2112, they said, we're angry, we're going to do what we want. You could argue that from then on, every other album was them just doing what they want. But I don't think we ever got to hear the desperation that we hear on 2112, where they say, this is all we got. We're just going to give it everything, kind of knowing that that was probably going to be their last bid.
2: Yeah, they really, they pull out all the stops. And um, yeah, it's something you can't recreate. In, in the in the history of a band, you know, that they, they all have that kind of that moment where they either, they, ma- they make it or they, they break, break it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, exactly. That's what happened. I mean, they, they, they were still a regular, a relatively unpopular band at that point. I mean, they had a pretty good cult following, but they weren't that big. And, um, that the record company was putting pressure on them to, you know, compromise and, and, uh, and uh, put out you know more radio friendly songs and stuff, and that really pissed them off.
3: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. uh, and you know, to put it succinctly, but and that that really shows. You, you can hear it in the music. You can hear it in Getty's voice. Yes, it, it seems like Neil's pounding the drums a little harder than he than usually does. Yeah, you know, absolutely, you can just, everything just it just re- totally resonates, and that that's why I love that album so much. I think that's really what. What spoke to me um, is someone who really wasn't that familiar with Russian. And when I discovered Twenty One Twelve, and um, you know, at the time I didn't really realize it, but um, looking back, I know that that's really what resonated with me, and and it still resonates to this day. And
0: and every that's time the to it. I'm with you. Like that that's something that I'm just experiencing now. It's almost like I'm, I wasn't mature enough to, as a listener, to kind of understand that, even though I knew it and I heard it in documentaries or interviews or whatever. Um, I'm just now going, oh, you know, I know this music. I know what notes are coming up next. I know what he's going yeah. to sing next, but no, there's, like you said, he's hitting the drums a little harder. Getty's singing with a little more aggressiveness, you know, a little bit more sting in his voice. Uh, yeah. st- not like the, the artist sting.
2: <laughs> it's, you know, it's really subtle. And, um, and, uh, it, it, like I said, at the time I was listening to it, I didn't really know what it was, but the, I knew there was something going on. Um, something different about that song that, that, you know, just hit you on a kind of a subconscious level. And, you know, now in hindsight, after knowing so much about the album and having absorbed it over, you know, 30 plus years or so, it's, you know, and listening to the guys talk about, talk about it, um, the recording of it and what, what they were feeling at the time, it all makes sense.
0: I don't imagine that when, like, let's go back to the release of this album and its reception and people just starting to kind of uh, digest the music and the material. I don't think you could make an argument that twenty one twelve wasn't hands down the best thing they had written up until that point. We all kind of accept that, and right now, like, we can all go, yeah, twenty one twelve was kind of the king of that era. Uh, we're not going to yep. compare Fly By Night to 2112. But we all we have is four albums. 2112 is the newest thing. If I can try to imagine myself in that time, 2112 would seem to be this uber-mature, um, like we said, very angry, very aggressive, and very raw-sounding album. But s- songwriting-wise, it's very... Uh, it's just a few levels up from *Caress of Steel*. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, I come at it from you know, I'm not a musician, which is rare among Rush fans, mm-hmm. actually. But but you know, I come at it from just the listener perspective, and, and yeah, you can you can definitely see that. And what I what I kind of you know, looking back at it, 2112 has has a kind of a cohesiveness that the other albums didn't. Like you know, <clears throat> they like *Fountain of Lamb*. Nap for instance. That you know you can kind of compare that to twenty one twelve in a way and and look at that as kind of a uh, you know a precursor to twenty one twelve and yeah almost like they were testing the waters and seeing what they could do and I love sound math, like but um you know there's there's a disconnectedness to some to the i don 't know how else to put it some of the the pieces on that that song that it seems more like a bunch of separate tracks um uh, then yeah, 2112 it, has a cohesiveness that it's kind of like one track blends into the next and, and they're all kind of connected and it takes you on a ride and
0: ride. those brief moments of silence in 2112 are almost like they're perfectly uh, the length is perfect for the silence yeah. like it's just enough of like a palate cleanser for you to digest what just happened and then move on to the next chapter where and I agree with you in Fountain uh, there, there seems to be this sort of start and stop aspect to it, uh, yep. that maybe they hadn't perfected yet. What right. do you think? Like, let's let's go the let's go into the future. Compare let's compare it to a farewell and hemispheres. Um, are these were those two albums an extension on twenty one twelve for you, or were they a regression? Were they not quite up to par with twenty one twelve for you?
2: Well, no, I want I, I, I don't want to say they're not on par with it. I, I think um, they are they're kind of an extension in a way, like for instance, Xanadu. Xanadu had a lot of that same feel as 2112, but, you know, sh- kind of shortened into one, one song. And it had, Xanadu has a lot of that same, um, those same elements where they're creating an atmosphere and um, the one, you know, the different sections kind of blend into each other. But yeah, like, you know, shortened down, to, shortened to 10 minutes, you know, as opposed to 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then Cygnus. Um, so it, I don't know, it was kind of an evolution, I guess. I don't know. For me, 2112 resonates just because it was the, the album that that really grabbed at me and made me a Rush fan and and just, um, it's got that extra oomph to it because of what we were talking about earlier, because of that that desperation mm-hmm. that you can't recreate. That, I guess that's what "Farewell of the Kings and Hemispheres lacks is that same kind of desperation in the music. Um, that subtle, that that subtle extra, you know, 1% that you get in 2012 that you don't get in those subsequent albums.
0: Yeah. they They say like, right. If you're, you know, hanging off a cliff or something and you're not strong enough to pull yourself up and your body thinks that you are about legitimately about to die, that you suddenly have like double the strength you normally would. They yeah. they, they say or, or, or like you hear about people lifting cars up, you know, <laughs> or when before they die or, or or in a really pressing situation. Of course, they tear their muscles apart. Uh, right. But like that, that's sort of like the same deal. It was like, well, this is the last thing we got. We might as well just give it a hundred and one percent.
2: Yeah, and and you can't like I said, you cannot recreate that in, in the history of you know the way a band's history kind of develops and evolves. That's only that's something you can only do once, really, on one album. And, um, and you know, farewell, the kings of hemispheres are brilliant albums, and the songwriting is is you know magnificent. But again, you, you just can't recreate that that little extra that 2112 has and that's that's why it's my favorite album and, and it really sticks out
0: for a long time me as again as a more uh immature listener and a younger rush fan i i didn't i didn't enjoy the 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 you know the back 18 minutes of 2112 I listened to the overture because I heard it on the spirit of radio compilation and I thought, well, yep. this is everything I need. Like like the rest of the song was just repeating what I just heard. I could not be more wrong. <laughs> While that is a correct statement, um I totally understand the rest of the, the track. And I, I've said this before. Uh, I was I'm not old enough to have listened to vinyl. I don't I didn't listen to records. So mm-hmm. it was easy for me to just listen to the overture and then go somewhere else. Uh, I don't know. I still don't know what the the subtitles are called because I they're not listed on my iPod. So as a kid going through my iPod, I didn't know what each part was called. Um, oh yeah, I missed that. I, w- I mean, I could probably sit down and like study them and and memorize them. Uh, but the 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 lengthier part of that song is what makes it great. I think, especially and I've said this before months ago. The, I think it's called Discovery, where Alex is just kind of noodling on his guitar and his character yep. finds the guitar. That is the clearest view. It's the biggest glimpse we have into Alex Lifeson, the teenager, discovering a guitar. Like, if he, his job is to portray a, a character who discovers this instrument, what's he going to do? He's going to go back to when he discovered that instrument. And I think that yep. is some of his most brilliant playing, is in that, that subtitle discovery
2: yeah it it's really great because um um apparently you know when they recorded that you know they terry brown talked about this before in a documentary where he just they started with it out of tune and mm-hmm. they just had out they just recorded this in one take alice picked it up started noodling around with it and tuned it and just kind of just started playing and um I yeah i think it. that's so awesome
0: I don't think I don't know about other guitarists. I don't know if Axl Rose could do that. You know what I mean? I, I think this is what makes Alex Lifeson, Alex. I don't I don't think other guitarists could. You know, Angus Young eh, could could he could he write that stuff that beautifully? I don't know. I don't I don't really know anything about these guitarists. But I know that this is what makes Alex different than those other guitarists.
2: Yeah, that that those little things on that album. and that. That song in particular, it's just that they stick with you, and you know, I I just just popped into my head, you know, a couple, I don't know a couple times when I've gone to see bands play, you know, just you know your average local band, you go to the bar and see them play, and the guitarist is sitting there, you know, his guitar's out of tune, so he starts tuning it, and he goes up to Mike uh, at you know he starts tuning it, and he says. What can this strange device be? And he starts singing that, and everyone kind of cheers. <laughs> you know, and I, I, that's happened on a couple occasions, and it's just it just a, is an indication of of you know how that song resonates with so many people, and it kind of sticks in their head.
0: Totally, I have had conversations with listeners before in emails about how about the word metal and it being thrown around when we talk about Rush, and I usually use it in an, in this context, where we're talking about the screechy years back in the 70s. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's parts of this song that I could I would use in my debate. <laughs> People say, you can't use the word metal with Rush. Rush wasn't metal. They weren't Iron Maiden. But I think, yeah. to a degree, progressive metal is what they were at that time. I, wa- I wasn't around, it wasn't even close to existing yet in the 70s, but I do. Th- there are parts of the song that are metal. They are heavy. When the guitar oh, comes yeah. in and yeah. Getty sings, "Just think of what my life might be," uh, that is he- that is metal. I think.
2: Oh, yeah, no question. And it's it amazes me how many people, and you know, today when Rush fans, when you say you know Rush is metal, and they just go off on it, and they say Rush is not metal. They've never been metal, and <laughs> and you go. And you got you got to put it in context. In maybe today by the taste standards, no, they're not they're not heavy metal necessarily. But when you go in the '70s, the mid '70s, and you look at the music that was out at that time, Rush was as heavy as anything that was out at that exactly.
0: time. Exactly. Yep.
2: But no problem. And it, it, Rush was the first real progressive metal band in, in a sense that they they really are the first band who took that the progressive style of like, you know, Genesis and yes, and King Crimson.
3: Exactly. And,
2: what, and what they, they kind of amped it up a bit. And they, they took that progressive attitude and then mixed it up with the Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath kind of heaviness and created progressive metal in my opinion.
0: And and I only recently learned that I watched some videos about people who are really like, I'm not a genre guy. I don't, I don't really genres, especially today. It seems like every band thinks they need their own genre, so the labels have become obsolete. Um, yes. You're naming your band right. and you're naming your genre. <laughs> like, uh, But back then even, I'm learning that there's, like you said, pro- the Progressive was a thing. That was Genesis and Yes, and King Crimson and a few other guys. But And then Metal was a thing, and then Rush kind of combined the two to make, I mean, we could we could argue that was the birth of something that had a tree that is... Spread very very wide, you know. There are a yeah. lot of progressive metal bands. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about the rest of the album. I think Bangkok yeah. might be everybody else's second favorite on this album. If we if we put Twenty One Twelve at the top, for a long time I didn't give a crap about Bangkok. I thought it was <laughs> I'm, I'm like this is just an S eh song. Um, I still would take others on the on the on the B side of the album before bangkok um but it is a cool tune and my dad pointed something out to me recently for the the music theory nerds in the in the kind of the breakdown solo section of bangkok there's a what's called a polymeter and i I was playing some periphery for my dad and i said listen to this progressive metal band they use polymeters which means there are two time signatures happening at the same time usually the drums are in four which is what you expect while the guitar's are doing something in seven or or 11 or whatever it is. And Uh I played it for my dad and he went, Rush does that. I go, no, they don't. He's like, yeah, they do. He couldn't quite figure out what song it was, but he finally found it. He goes, in the middle of Bangkok, there's a polymeter (laughs) happening. So you'll notice the guitar is going, that guitar part starts on a different part of the measure each time. Um, yeah. So we talk about Rush being the beginning of progressive metal. Periphery's brand new, and they're still using the same metal polymeters that Rush was was using.
2: Yeah, I mean they were they were innovators, in a lot of and a lot of sense. I mean, that's why they're considered one of the the first progressive metal band. I think there's stuff like that that so, I don't think anyone ever really really done that before.
0: I believe in that, I believe that, Bangkok was. Performed live pretty frequently, right? Back in the day, anyway. Um, yeah, for,
2: for a while, and then then it was kind of set aside for a long time. And then they brought it back for um, uh, R thirty. Which one of the re- recent tours? And I can't remember off off the top of my head.
0: I think it's on um, the back end of Snakes. and They played Bangkok.
2: Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, but yeah, but before that, they had they hadn't played it in a long time.
0: Have uh I wonder like I don't know much about the twenty one twelve tour. Maybe you do. I, I think Russia's band's got a new is it a set list or a tour date sort of database?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it kinda ties into uh, Setlist FM.
0: It oh very good,
2: cool. Yeah, and all I all I was trying to do was trying to kinda put a um Setlist FM has a great database but they don't have a great search engine. So right. I just kinda try to tie that together, so if you awesome. want to see it, Rush what bands Rush played with and you know what song they played.
0: So what do you know about the tour? Is is um is Twenty One Twelve performed in its entirety right off the bat? Uh was you know, were songs like Twilight Zone or lessons were they performed live?
2: I know twenty one twelve was. Um I don't think I'm not sure if they they played uh lessons or not. Or Cheers. I, I don't think they ever played Cheers.
0: Yeah, I mean, Why? we know Something for Nothing was pretty heavy in the rotation and, and probably Bangkok back then. Yeah. But I don't know about those yeah. middle three.
2: I don't think they played Lessons, ever. Which is weird, because um, they, they have played Twilight Zone before, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, I, was, I was actually really hoping to hear Twilight Zone on R40. I had I had a weird hunch that obviously was a ghost hunch <laughs> but um, I thought Twilight Zone would be a cool one to bring back from this album uh, a really nice vault tune for them
2: yeah they did break out Twilight Zone a couple times for, on the 2112 tour or the All the Worlds of Stage tour I think Oh, okay. All, I mean, which is really the 2112 tour and they recorded right. it for All the Worlds of Stage but uh,
3: yeah okay. that was
2: Tour, I would have liked to have seen that because they, they played, um, they even played Necromancer a couple times,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Like, but, again, we go back to these are the only four albums that exist. You go to see Rush Live, you get a very narrow window in retrospect for, yeah, in the grand scheme of things for, um, for songs that they could perform.
2: They almost had to play some of that stuff because, you know, they don't that's that was their material,
0: exactly. Um,
2: they played something for nothing a good bit too, which.
0: Yeah, and I want it's, to talk about something for nothing before we get to tears. Um, yeah, something for nothing. On my first listen, you know, my very first listen of the album was a standout song. Uh, clearly, it, it you don't have to read into it. You don't need to do much research in regard to this song. It it is what it is, and it's awesome.
2: Yeah, and I agree. It's it's my other than the title track. It's my favorite song on that album. Yeah. Um, it's really, um, that kind of song that, you know, um, it's, it's got, it's inspirational in, in a sense and our, I just the message in it, you know, totally, um, very, like I said, very simple, very straight to point and, um, you know, freedom isn't free.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's funny, like lyrically, it's very straightforward as well, isn't it? Yeah. I, I yeah, always fall into this happy. trap of... Not, the lyrics are always the last thing I analyze, and you're right. Um, they kind of match the sentiment of the music. It's straightforward. You don't need to read into it very much. Uh, yeah. I would love to hear that live. I know it got some heavy rotation. Even in, I think, the 90s, maybe like the early 90s, they were playing Something for Nothing on the, on the end of each set list, I believe. Uh, I would love to hear that thing live, even in a medley.
2: Oh yeah, agreed. I I was really hoping they would pull that out for this um for the R40 tour, but they did not.
0: Do you uh do you agree that the arrangement of 2112 we got on R40 was one of the coolest we've ever heard?
2: Um yeah, I liked how they they uh they included grand finale. You know, they you know, they left out the middle part and just kind of
0: yeah, I mean it's essentially the 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 quickest version of that song we can get while still hitting all the main parts of the song.
2: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I really liked how I always was bummed when you know you they play overture and Temples, and that was it. Right, you know, I and mean, you'd, you'd want Getty to you know keep going. You you'd want all right now, Alex, you know start playing that out of tune guitar, <laughs> and you know and it never happens. But even even the fact that they they included grand finale, you know kind
0: yeah we're kind of
2: satisfies kinda, you in that sense, you know yeah it's, it's okay, I mean well, it's, it's not over yet,
0: and it's such a great way to end the show, and it's usually the end of the show, yeah, and we're so we're sort we're sort of spoiled now, having heard it a few times like that, um that hearing it with just temples and then ending it would be kind of like,, eh. you know yeah. we're missing something,
2: <laughs> well, I got to hear it all you know or. Most, I think, pretty much all of it. I can't remember if they, they might have shortened or truncated it a little bit, but on the test for Echo tour.
0: Oh, so you they, saw the test tour? It.
2: Yeah, and they played the, the whole thing essentially, and it was, it was really cool for me. I'm, it's one of my, you know, most memorable concert experiences. Is. is so I'm only getting to see that live.
0: I know that that tour started in the northeast it started in my hometown of albany new york um so i imagine that was early in the tour if you saw them near cleveland and um yeah probably i d- did you know they were going to play it in its entirety yeah okay um because
2: by then yeah, you know, they you know it was like the late 90s so and the internet was was coming online then and, and you know you could go out on the net and I was on some rush mailing lists, so I got the heads up that they were playing that. I am
0: always, I'm always, um, I'm always yeah, wondering the whole thing. I'm always wondering: had I been at that show, would I be annoyed or happy to hear Twenty One Twelve? Because while I'm, here I am saying all these great things about this tune, I, I I still think I would value other deep cuts in place of the entire thing. But that's me talking. For, you know, I've heard different stages live. I've heard Twenty One Twelve live in its entirety. Had I not had that recording to to eat up, maybe I would yep. think, Yeah, I want to hear the whole thing live. <laughs> There's I, I remember yeah. I, I listened to different stages for so long, months and months and months in my car, and it never left the C D player listening to Twenty One Twelve in its entirety. So I guess I <laughs> bless you. I guess maybe um I probably would have to hear it live so when i when i initially called you to set up the podcast you said we got to do a solid 40 minutes on tears and i like it because on my way over here i listened to the album again and thought this thing is uh maybe surpassing magical definitely surpassing magical as the song that went from hate to great the most <laughs> for me uh definitely a song i skipped for a long time i was an angry teenager i guess and didn't really give a crap about the slower tunes but now i uh, man it is everything i needed to be and it's so different than any other rush song still not even just up until 2112 there's nothing like tears sound wise okay
2: well it's like a right it's a rush love song which yeah. is rare in and of itself and there's I think I've said this before. You can count count the number of Rush love songs on one hand. Yes, easily. But um, the, how I remember it is, uh, growing up, um, this was the one Rush song that you could get away with playing at a high school dance.
0: <laughs> did, did that actually and happen?
2: Had, oh yeah, and the, my buddy was the guy who who did the, you know, did the. Uh, he was a DJ at the school dances, and he was a huge Rush fan. So. You know, he would always play this because it's the only song Rush on he can get away with playing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how how I remember it. And uh, it's the only it's all it's all Getty. I mean Getty's the one credited with it on the album.
0: I was gonna so, say, it's I think it's Getty's lyrics, right? Getty's lyrics and,
2: and music.
0: And is it Hugh Syme that played Synth?
2: I, I think so. I I I'm I, not sure.
0: Yeah, I'm not but either, I, but I thought that's what I read.
2: Yeah, I don't know if he's credited for it on the album itself, but but I think he does. Um, I know I know Hugh does. um, You know he did the the synth intro to Twenty One Twelve. and That was all him.
0: Oh yeah, that's right.
2: That crazy spacey intro. Yep. So he uh, he was around and he was involved in the album. So I wouldn't be surprised if he he did that.
0: Um, it's just a different sound than anything else we get. Like. It's a love song, yeah, that's different, you know. Um but yeah. just sonically, it, it just it's it's unlike everything else. Uh it's a very it's a song I go to sleep too often. And <laughs> I I I don't mean it puts me to sleep, but I, I mean while I'm falling asleep in bed at night, I'll i have a playlist and that's often what I have on there. Yeah. Um yeah. a really oh, cool vibe.
2: Yeah. I'm looking at the liner notes right now and Hugh Hugh yeah. Keyboards on tears.
0: Oh, he was credited.
2: Yeah, that's cool. what He was credited. So there you go.
0: Well, let's stick with you, Simon. Talk about the artwork. Oh yeah. Um, oh. I I like I like black. Like like I, black is like my favorite color, and I don't tell people that often because people always freak out. They say one of two things: one, black isn't a color, which I I think it is. Uh, or two they they judge me because my favorite color is black that your favorite I, color says saying... nothing about your personality
2: <laughs> i that's same for me actually i'm
0: oh you're in the same boat yeah um so I like a black album i I always say albums need to, album covers need to pop this one doesn't pop, but I like that i don't think it needs to pop it's angry it's dark and it 's angry, so pairing like a red with black and a blue with black a dark red and a dark blue are very cool to me. I think yeah, the album I, does what it needs to do. The no, the album cover.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh less is more in that case. I mean it's and then the the Starman um pretty much is that that's a, the Rush logo now, you know.
0: Yeah, it's funny how that's like the closest thing we have to a Rush logo. Yeah. They've done a good job of not having logos. Um I don't know if maybe that was on purpose. Maybe they said, we don't really want... I know some bands are like, we don't want logos. We're not We're not a brand, you know?
2: Yeah. I don't think it was by choice. They didn't expect it to happen. It just kind of happened right. organically just because, you know, 2112 was kind of their breakout album. And people started to identify them with that. Um, of course. And was, I think it works well. It works well for Rush because it kind of...
0: Yeah, know, it it's... Up. It's in. It's a an, a symbol that is universal. Every you know, when you see it, you know it's Rush. Yep. At least if if you know anything about rock and roll. Um. I think I have my entire CD collection is upstate, so I don't have the hard copies. On the back, is it the three of them in kimonos?
2: Um. Yeah, and I don't have the the vinyl, or yeah, I don't have this. Right, I have the deluxe edition, which is totally different. Oh, okay. Um that's only that's only a hard copy I have these days. Mm-hmm. Um I had the final reissue but I I lent it to someone and I don't have
0: it right now. So um I wonder if yeah, those uh those kimonos did they last for several tours? <laughs> they played them for three tours, didn't they?
2: I yeah, I think I—I I don't even know. They don't know what happened to those kimonos.
0: I don't buy that. It's too bad. I don't buy that. <laughs> oh yeah, you know they wear
2: them to bed every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they all use them as bathrobes now. uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're always—it's so funny you hear get—they're like, "What happened?" You know, some idiot interviewer who's never seen a Rush interview is like, "Hey, what about those kimonos?" And they, you know, they're like, "Oh, we have no idea what happened to them. They must have just disappeared one night." I'm not buying that. I, I think they know exactly <laughs> what happened to them. Either they still have them, or um, they know exactly where they are right now. That's just me. <laughs>
2: you would like to think.
0: I, I I just like to tell myself that I I think I know this band well enough where I could tell when they're lying. Like I can call <laughs> Getty out. You're like, "Nah, I'm not buying it, man." I yeah, like the a, idea yeah, that they wear black. them to sleep, though. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, or maybe they're like rain jackets or snow jackets now. It'd be nice. <laughs> it'd be nice camouflage if you're into hunting, I guess, in the snow. Yeah, I guess. Oh. <laughs> uh, Ed, this was great, man. Thank you for for doing this, Blogmeister Ed Stenger. <laughs> I'm just I'm sitting here like writing as many nicknames as I can think of for Ed, um,
2: Blogmeister. Okay.
0: I like that. Yeah, as long as, I gotta see you use that somewhere. <laughs> That's uh, a new one. All right, cool. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week with a farewell to kings. This was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to. Like I said, each album I think is gonna give uh, is gonna have a bit more juice to it, and this one definitely felt that way.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I've been enjoying listening to them
0: thanks a lot man and uh you should if i know you you've been there but you should you should check out rushes a band online because it's uh a really fun place to be if you're if you're a big enough fan to be listening to my show you should go to rushes a band which is my show plus a lot more juice (laughs) and uh, some fun discussions all right ed thanks a lot man all right thank you all right so what do you got uh, guys,
1: I'm I'm embarrassed. Why? I'm very embarrassed. You spelled it it's wrong. Not how, didn't not you. how you spell it? How do you spell it? R e s e r v o i r. Say it again. R e s e r v o i r. reservoir. Reservoir. Yeah. So that's the.
0: the H- how do you pronounce it?
1: Reservoir. 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 Maybe there's like a a soft. Well, we grew up next to reservoir. a reservoir.
0: We had, we said it a lot. But reservoir. Had I, yeah. Reservoir. Yeah did, did. either of you take French? No, we That's both took cool. Spanish. No, okay. Um well I guess we wouldn't know. I'm speaking to a large Canadian audience. <laughs> so <laughs> I think <laughs> they they
1: probably know endings like OIR pretty well. Yeah. Um I went
0: to Montreal. Mont- I don't even Montreal. Montreal. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry Canadian folks, um, we're not we don't mean to be ignorant. It's just a thing that happens uh sometimes. But I drove to Montreal because I went to school at the very top of New York State, and I went and saw the Clockwork Angels tour there in 2012. It was like the very beginning of the, that huge tour, and uh, I saw it at the hockey arena up in Montreal, and I know that's like the Frenchest part of that country, right? I can't say for sure. I know Quebec is also... Like like Toronto, there's not much French happening, is what I understand, and montreal it's like Mm -hmm. definitely a thing i've been to montreal it's a beautiful city
1: what did you go up there for i was there uh during high school we went like on trips i went twice really to to check it out yeah it was with like the foreign language club i believe the french and spanish set it up
0: so you went like i was only there i drove there at night in the winter and it was hard (laughs) the the signs were tough and and i didn't get to see much because it was dark um I didn't really even get to see much of Russia because I was so far away and so high up in that yeah, arena. Man,
1: everything's far away from you <laughs> in Canada. That's the thing about Canada.
0: The drive to Montreal was much like Potsdam, New York, flat and cold and barren. Mm-hmm. But um, Montreal is cool city. You have I have your
1: passport. Did you have to use your passport? Today? I
0: had a passport. Yep.
1: You Did you? No, this was back when you just needed your birth certificate.
0: You need, you didn't even need an enhanced license. No, you that's needed a new a thing. Birth certificate.
1: Yeah. I was in uh, ninth grade. That's fascinating. And somebody lost theirs on the way back home, <sighs> and the guy got on the bus and went, "Well, where do
0: you live?" She was like, yeah,
1: yeah, "New York." <laughs> They're
0: like, "All, All right." right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone told me that going into Canada would be fine. They're like, like, they don't care. Yeah, you can come to Canada, but getting back into the States, oh, that's like the hard you. part, <laughs> except that uh, it was my uncle and I in the car going to the show, and getting into Canada, we wait at the booth, and the guy said, um, he, you know, who? where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you? Do you? Let me see your papers. And he's like, where are you going? I go, we're going to see Rush in Montreal, a rock concert. And he just stares at us. He looks back at my passport, looks back at me. He's like, let me see the tickets. I'm what? Like, uh, they're in like the back in the bag. <laughs> get out. Get the tickets out. He looks at the tickets, looks at the passport, looks at me. Does that a few more times. All right. <laughs> oh, <that'd laughs> it took be like, oh, forever.
1: Uh, uh, sorry, we got to confiscate these. Uh, turns out, you know, this is uh, illegal. <laughs> oh, YYZ, like- eh? or yeah.
0: I, yyz eh? and then you see That's him like, they say. drive off into- and <laughs> <laughs> he goes like out of the car <laughs> yeah. um but getting back it was super late at night we're talking like one in the morning driving back and we're the only car pulling up to the border to get back in the states and the guy gets out of the car he's like what did he say uh or i don't i don't know he asked me something and i answered incorrectly but he was basically like where are you going said the US. <laughs> He's like, "Do you have the tickets?" <laughs> uh he was super like uh joking, like he he wasn't taking it very seriously. Um so it was the opposite of what people told me. Hmm. Really interesting. Um But Canada's a nice place. They 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 have a nice farm system for musicians, I think. Seems to be that way. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Bieber, Celine Dion and Rush.
1: Okay, I'm changing my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) That rush sucks. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I meant.
0: All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks especially for listening to us ramble. We'll be back next week, next Monday, with a farewell to King. See you.